Section 79 of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in August 2019. The World's Story, Volume 8 Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. Edited by Eva March Tappen. Section 79. Waiting for the Great Geyser to Spout. 1874. By Bayard Taylor. The presence of so many celebrities was due to the fact that the author's visit was made at the time of the great celebration of Iceland's millennium. The Editor. I slept soundly the night after our arrival at the geysers, but some members of our party were excited and restless. Toward morning there were several mysterious underground thumps which sent them posting to the great geyser's brim, but only denser steam and a heavier overflow of water followed. The scene in the morning was curious. We took our toilet articles and went, half-dressed, to the hollow between the geyser and the spring where the surplus overthrow is shallow and lukewarm. It was already occupied, a royal chamberlain was scooping up water in his hands, an admiral was dipping his toothbrush into the stream, a Copenhagen professor was laboriously shaving himself by the aid of a looking-glass stuck in a crack of the crater, and the king, neat and fresh as if at home, stood on the bank and amused himself with the sight. The quality of the water is exquisite. It is like down and velvet to the skin. Soap becomes a finer substance in it, and the refreshment given to the hands and face seems to permeate the whole body. If one could only have a complete bath! A day's labour would make a pool sufficient, therefore, yet the idea has never occurred to a single soul, native or foreign. I did not dare to venture a quarter of a mile away from the geyser during the whole day. We all fell into a condition of nervous expectancy which could not be escaped, comical as were some of its features. There was a pile of turf, perhaps a cartload, beside the Strokre, which lay just below our tent, and we were told that the cauldron would be compelled to spout for the king as soon as he had finished his breakfast so we sat down contented to the second plover stew which mr gladstone and dr hayes had provided for us the farmer from whom we had procured fuel sent us several bottles of delicious cream and a large salmon for dinner the strocre is a pit about five feet in diameter and eight feet deep to the ordinary level of the water which is always in a furious boiling state professor steenstrup assured me that it is not connected with the great geyser, as the analysis of the water shows a difference, but the people are equally convinced that it is, and that to provoke its activity diminishes the chances of the former spouting. However this may be, the royal command was given. The pile of turf was pitched into the hole, and all gathered around, at a safe distance, waiting to see what would follow. For ten minutes we noticed nothing, except a diminution of steam. Then the water gushed up to the level of the soil, in a state of violent agitation, subsided, 
rose again spouted the full breadth of the hole to a height of fifteen or twenty feet sank back and finally after another moment of quiet shot a hundred feet into the air the boiled turf reduced to the consistency of gravel filled the jet and darkened its central shaft but i did not find that it diminished the beauty of the phenomenon jet after jet followed sending long plume-like tufts from the summit and sides of the main column around which the snowy drifts of steam whirled and eddied with a grace so swift that the eye could scarcely seize it at such moments the base was hidden and the form of the fountain was like a bunch of the pampas grass in blossom a cluster of feathery panicles of spray the performance lasted nearly ten minutes and was resumed again two or three times after it seemed to have ceased two or three of the last spoutings were the highest and some estimated them at fully one hundred and twenty feet finally the indignant cauldron threw out the last of its unclean emetic and sank to its normal level the king who had turned aside to salute our company was in the act of expressing to me his admiration of the scene when the little geezer gave sudden signs of action there was a rush of the whole party his majesty turned and ran like a boy jumping over the gullies and stones with an agility which must have bewildered the heavy officials who were compelled to follow as they best could it was a false alarm the little geezer let off a few sharp discharges of steam as if merely to test the pressure and then as if satisfied resumed its indolent smoky habit the cone of the great geyser is not more than twenty feet high and appears to have been gradually formed by the deposit of the silicious particles which the water holds in solution the top is like a shallow washbowl thirty feet in diameter full to the brim and slowly overflowing on the eastern side in the centre of this bowl there is a well indicated by the intense blue-green of the water and apparently eight or ten feet in diameter it has been sounded and bottom or at least a change of direction reached at a depth of eighty-five feet at the edge where the water is shallow one can dip his fingers in quickly without being scalded small particles placed in the overflow are completely encrusted with transparent silex in a day or two professor steinstrup informed me that the water has important healing properties the steam has an odor of sulphuretted hydrogen but the taste thereof is so soon lost that where the stream becomes cold we used it for drinking and making coffee i shall never forget that calm sublime day at the geysers after reading many descriptions I was never less prepared for the reality of the scene instead of a dreary narrow volcanic valley here was a landscape bounded on the west by mountains but to the north east and south only to be spanned by a radius of fifty miles near us a quiet grass-roofed farmstead toward the sea meadows and gleams of rivers in front the broad green plain its enclosing hills and hecla rising lonely above them northward a church and neighboring byres a smooth grassy ridge beyond the snow-streaked pyramid of the bluffyal blue mountain and far in the distance the luminous icy peaks of the arna 
from our tent the noise of the boiling waters could not be heard the steam ascended quickly soon dissipated in the light wind and the expression of the scene before me as i watched it for hours lying on the soft turf of the hillside was one of perfect peace and repose at half past one o'clock there came a dull thud felt rather than heard then another and another and we all rushed towards the great geyser before any one reached it however the noises ceased the water rose a foot or so giving out dense volumes of steam but in five minutes it became quiet as before the king and his attendant officials strayed up the hill and there the former devoted some time to carving the subjoined rune upon one of the rocks c nine eighteen seventy four there were various small parties of the native population at the geysers during the day but fewer than might have been expected even taking into account the sparse settlement in this part of iceland they were coarse solidly built figures the bodies much larger than the legs the hair thick and blond and the faces broad weather beaten and apparently expressionless i saw half a dozen four men and two women stand vacantly grinning at the king as he passed them and even when he politely saluted them the men hesitated in awkward shyness before they even touched their hats another to whom he was speaking in a kindly manner with his hand upon the man's shoulder suddenly remembered that some mark of respect was necessary and snatched off his hat with as much haste as if there had been a hornet inside of it among the people were several sick persons who had made long journeys in the hope of finding a physician in the king's suite disappointed in this they turned to dr hayes and to our jovial reykjavik friend dr hjaltalin the first case was a man suffering from bright's disease for which unfortunately we had no medicines but the medicine chest when it was opened attracted our visitors with a singular power men and women crowded around gazing with eager interest and as it seemed to me longing upon the bottles of pills and potions i offered a quinine pill to a woman and she instantly took and chewed it without ever asking a question to confirm a faith so profound i felt obliged to take two of the pills myself soon afterwards there came a married couple the mother carrying a baby which as it needed but a glance to see was almost dying of croup they had carried the poor child on horseback for five hours in the hope of finding relief there was no time to be lost hot baths and poultices were ordered at the byre near at hand and in the meantime an opiate was administered the gasping and writhing of the child was too much for those strong icelandic men the mother stood calm and firm holding it but zoega ran away in one direction and ivindur in another crying like children and the farmers turned aside their heads to hide their tears at the byre nothing could exceed the kindness of the farmer's family in fact of all who could help the king's purveyor furnished white bread for a poultice a hot bath was made ready and the father stuffed the child's clothes into his bosom to keep them warm for it all night the people watched with it and the next morning everybody looked happy on hearing that its condition had somewhat improved 
the next case was a boy with hip disease for whom little could be done though the doctor constructed a temporary support for his foot the people invariably asked how much they should pay and gratefully shook hands when payment was declined i made an effort to talk with a group of farmers finding them ready enough only a little embarrassed at the start but when i asked do you know Samun's edda there was an instant flash and flame in their eyes and all shyness vanished the Njal and Völsunga sagas, Snorri Sturleson, with a score of obscurer sagas of which I have never heard, were eagerly mentioned and discussed. It was remarkable to see their full knowledge of Icelandic literature and their vital interest in it. Do you know who first discovered America? I asked. Yes, yes, they all cried in a body. It was Life, the son of Eric, the Red. When was it? about the year one thousand and there was torfin Karlsefne, who went afterward and torvald they called the country finland we know it said i i am a finlander they silently stretched out their hands and shook mine an instinct of the true nature of the people arose in me within an hour i had seen what tenderness goodness knowledge and desire for knowledge are concealed under their rude apathetic exteriors to meet them was like being suddenly pushed back to the thirteenth century for all the rich complex later developed life of the race has not touched them more than ever i regretted my ignorance of the language without knowing which no stranger can possibly understand their character at half past four there came a repetition of geezer thumps louder and more rapid than the first time and at eight o'clock a third manifestation we fondly hoped that these were signs of increased activity which would soon bring about an outburst our excitement increased to such an extent that although watches had been set for the king's sake messrs halsted hayes and gladstone volunteered to keep independent watch for us the two former passed half the night sitting on the edge of the geyser basin they were once scared away by a thump which threatened to split the rocky shell under their feet but nothing followed except a violent overflow of water i heard the noises twice during the night and waited vainly for a call the twilight was so bright that the spectacle would have been visible at any hour had it come End of section seventy nine.